Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 133 of the Mad Happy Podcast. This is Phineas. Today, we are running one of our favorite episodes from the past, Chelsea Cutler. This is a conversation that Mason had with the singer-songwriter that covers a wide range of mental health topics. They're both incredibly candid, and it is in keeping with some of the best Mad Happy Podcast episodes where both host and guest are incredibly candid and vulnerable and open. There's a lot to be gained, which is why we thought we'd run it again. So without further ado, the Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism. Enjoy the show with Mason and Chelsea Cutler. Well, I was really excited to chat with you. I know that you've been a friend of the brand for a long time. Uh, we've never personally got to meet us. Uh, so I was excited to get to meet you and just the stuff that we've done before on The Local Optimist. And I know that you wear Mad Happy a bunch and we're so appreciative of that. And just uh, your work overall is like a mental health ally. I feel like it's such an inspiration to what we're doing and, and really aligns with so much of what our mission is. So I just wanted to say thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. No, thank you guys for having me. I'm like the hugest proponent of your brand and, and obviously love it and love to represent. So, Yeah, I wanted to start like, you know, obviously mental health is such a big part of your music, your story, your own brand. Like where did that sort of come from for you? Like what was your first mental health experience or when were you first conscious of it? Yeah, I think it's funny. Like music has always been it's always been like a really introspective type of outlet for me. And I feel like the reason that I'm so vulnerable in my writing is, is really more or less just because I needed a space where I felt like I could process and talk about things. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting that it has kind of morphed into this representation for my brand as an artist, because there was nothing intentional about that. And it's really cool kind of how organically that kind of came to be just because this was like, music has just always been the place where I selfishly was like, okay, I'm going to vent about everything and process. Yeah, I think same uh, for me, even like I call myself like an accidental entrepreneur all the time, or like even when we were starting Mad Happy, it wasn't like we, you know, had this whole business plan of a mental health brand that looks like this and that, you know, it was sort of just like, you know, clothing was the most accessible outlet for me to express myself was to go to downtown LA and buy a white t-shirt and screen print something on it. And, you know, that's sort of how I feel like the most authentic uh, vulnerability really comes from and like ways to express ourselves. But I'm curious for you, like around what age was it where you sort of, you know, was it you started journaling or was it always songwriting or, or or like how did you discover that outlet when did you know like I'm feeling shit and I don't know how to get it out or like what did that actually look like when you were a kid yeah totally I dude I like love hearing that you would just like buy stuff to screen print on it because I feel like the best dude. I mean, that's 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 like the best origin story ever but um but yeah I definitely wouldn't say like journaled ever I think I just listened to a lot of like emo, like pop punk stuff when I was really young, um, like Simple Plan and Fall Boy and all that stuff. And I would just try to copy their lyrics and write kind of angsty stuff like that. And my teachers definitely were like, something is wrong with this nine-year-old child. 
And yeah, like I always just found lyrics to be so fascinating, even ones that I didn't necessarily relate to. And I just tried to emulate that always. Um, and obviously there came a point where I felt comfortable enough to start doing that, uh, you know, and like reflect on my own feelings with it. But like, it honestly has always been the only kind of like semblance of journaling or reflection that I've really had. I like journal now, but I definitely didn't before. Did you have like a hard time growing up or like, did you feel like misunderstood? I know you said your teachers were sort of like, what's up with this nine-year-old? Like, did that manifest into, you know, going to see a therapist or your parents being concerned or like anything at home? No, my parents were like, she's just listening to a lot of simple plans. Like she's just dope. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, uh, which is sick. No. Yeah. I didn't feel misunderstood really at all, which is cool. Like I feel, I kind of feel like hopefully what is appealing like about me as like a friend or an artist or whatever is like, I kind of feel like I'm a good representation of like the everyday kind of girl in in her 20s or like I feel like I've always just been like pretty average um so yeah there's not like a ton of like misunderstanding I think if anything the only place I like really felt misunderstood was just trying to like come to terms with like my mental health and and like my sexuality and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so it actually my parents did make me go to therapy but start like when I was 20 or 21 Mm. So after so not, like after yeah, high school and, and everything already. Yeah. When did you like decide to fully pursue music? So I started working with my manager, Jesse, when I was like 19 or 20. But it, honestly, it wasn't until I got the offer to go on tour with Quinn 92 that everyone started to like take it really seriously. And that was after I had already had like deals on the table from record labels and stuff. It wasn't really until the tour offer that we were like, oh, OK, this is this is real yeah was uh did you were you still in school at the time or like how did that sort of a play out yeah I was a so I that was my junior fall of college and Jesse manages Quinn 92 and we had like written flare guns together and stuff so um honestly I don't even know why they wanted to bring me on tour because I had like no experience at all um so they just kind of like take a shot in the dark which was really kind and awesome of them did you graduate or did you drop out? No, I dro- yeah, I left. Nice. I also dropped out of college too, but I didn't make it until junior year like you. I, I left after first semester of freshman year. Oh my God, that's legendary. <laughs> did, were you, did you just feel like it wasn't for you? Yeah, I just like, I always felt so dumb and like really struggled in the classroom. Like I felt like I was, teachers never understood me and, and, and that was just never where I felt comfortable in my own skin. And I think I went to, college after high school because that's just what you know we grow up thinking that's just what you're supposed to do that's just the next step of life and I think I you know was just looking around like I I was at Indiana right it was this big 10 school there was the number one basketball team in the country I love hoops I was like you know I was pledging a frat it was like on paper it was like the best thing you could ever ask for and I was just looking around at like the juniors and seniors and just being like 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 I don't know if I want to be doing that in like three four years plus I had no like direction academically so I was just like you know I I don't think this is for me um so I ended up just going back home tried community college you know that that fizzled out and then just sort of started working and then you know Matt Happy was was kind of born out of that yeah that's awesome there's such a I feel like every I mean it's it's like kind of obviously like privileged to say everything happens for a reason but 
Um, but that type of stuff, I feel like, usually yields some sort of greatness. Yeah. How did you first get uh, get in contact with Jesse? Or like when you said that you wrote that song, oh, with Quinn, like how did you start to sort of meet people in the industry and, and like find your, your tribe? Yeah, I was posting a lot on SoundCloud. I feel like I kind of came up through like high school and college in the golden age of, of SoundCloud. Um, and one of uh, Jesse's other artists, AOK, mm-hmm. found some like stuff I had posted and I think sent it to Jesse. Um, and I, of course, probably like messaged uh, Quinn92 on SoundCloud too. I don't know. I feel like it was a ton of like perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, like kind of happy accidents. This, uh, this TikTok generation doesn't know about about the influence of SoundCloud. I feel like it's like such a moment. It was the biggest moment. It was the best. I still like use it so much just to listen to all those remixes and yeah, like stuff. you're right, like old songs that you have saved that like they literally don't exist anywhere else. Like you couldn't even find them on like YouTube or something. It's like literally no, it's the only SoundCloud it's, only. Yeah, it's exclusive. <laughs> Um, I know you said you first started going to therapy, like, I guess a year or two after, you know, you started taking music seriously. What was like the impetus there? Or I know you said like my parents sort of made me go. Were you like resistant at the time or or, like how did that sort of happen? I feel like I definitely struggled with depression through my college years. I, I basically was taking an intro to psych class and called my parents and was like, yeah, I kind of thought that all of this was normal, but it sounds like I like am depressed. And so that, that kind of, that kind of prompted them to start looking at therapists for me. But then it wasn't until I, so I hit my head and I started getting panic attacks really frequently after that. It was super weird. And that was kind of the point my parents were like, we are not letting you leave the house until you go see this therapist we set up an appointment for you and everything Mm. on the on the depression piece and then we can speak about the panic attacks too like you know i feel like identifying it is such a big piece for so many kids of like you know we could be depressed like you said for years and have no idea what it is or think we're just tired or no i'm just not hungry today or, or like or all these things that actually um are symptoms of something deeper like how did it manifest itself for you uh once you sort of realize like oh shit this might be something i'm dealing with i think the biggest thing was in psych class the professor said a symptom was when you wake up you just can't wait for it to be the end of the day Mm. and like get back in bed and um and another symptom was like when the day is over and you're in bed and you feel like ultimate relief wash over you because it's like the only time of day that you have no obligations. There's no one trying to talk to you or anything. Um, And that resonated with me. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's exactly how I'm feeling. Like I just felt like I was just big time going through the motions and like, wasn't excited about anything. Um, And I just didn't feel like very connected to my present day. Yeah. I, I can totally relate to that too. I mean, I've, I've, struggled with depression like my whole life I still do and even now like one of my biggest sort of warning signs is like when I get that feeling of just like oh I can't wait to like not look at my phone or I'm not reachable I'm not accountable I'm not seeing anyone I'm not doing anything like it's just over and I can just like you know drown in my bed or the couch or 
a movie or just like disappear almost you know i feel like that's the biggest sign of just like wanting to sort of like fade away almost yeah i feel like what yeah mentioning like accountability that is such a buzzword i feel like depression makes it really difficult to feel like you have the capacity to be accountable at all yeah and then i think you know at least for me too like it it made me doubt myself so much of like the voice in my head telling me that like you know you're not shit you never graduated from college you're dumb like you can't run a business what are you doing right and then it's like that like that voice in my head or like that depression like is is it's so convincing and you know can almost make you believe that like you you should be being alone more or you should like sort of fade into that darkness and it's like you know you really have to have to counteract it with that like accountability and let me call this person let me make this plan let me take this class let me like do x y and z otherwise it's like you know it's 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 hard to to go up against 100% yeah 100% when you sort of had that realization like in class in that intro to psych class what was your first reaction like did you feel scared were you like oh my god like what's wrong with me were you nervous to tell your parents like how did you deal with that realization of like oh this is what depression is one and two i think i have it my literal first reaction was i so i had a few teammates in the class and i leaned over and i was like guys like do you feel that way and they were all kind of like no that's not normal and I was like, oh, okay, got it. Cool. <laughs> Good to know. Um, and I called my parents like that night. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, something, something's not right here. Like, let's address this. So I was a freshman in college like eight years ago. People did not talk about mental health eight years ago the way that they do now. And I remember feeling like it was just a secret between me, my mom and dad. I could not tell anyone. I couldn't tell my coach. Um, and I remember the feeling of like finally going to my friends and being like, guys, like I have a massive secret to tell you. Like I've been diagnosed with depression. And it's so crazy to think about now because that's just now, now like all my friends are depressed <laughs> and we're all like, <laughs> It's like everywhere, yeah. obviously, and it's so easy and and casual to talk about it now, which is incredible. But yeah, I mean, I think that's such a been such a beautiful part of like you know we we started the brand almost six years ago, and to like see how far it's come, and still just the beginning and like the tip of the iceberg, right? Obviously, there's so much more work to do, but like the fact that it can be so openly just you know shared and discussed is like amazing. How you know, we, we truly have the power to like change societal norms and, and the discourse around things. And, you know, I, I liken it back to like, even just like saying you're in therapy or like, if like you're getting a divorce, I feel like when I hear my parents talk about like those stories, it's like, they would like whisper it or like, Oh my God, it's this huge deal. And now it's like, no, like everyone gets divorced. Everyone's in therapy. Like, right. It's like a, not a big yeah. deal at all. I was like hooking up with this boy. And I remember like feeling like I couldn't, I didn't have the time because I was trying I was like talking with my parents with different therapists and stuff and I remember sending him this text and being like I have this massive confession like <laughs> I've been diagnosed with depression I don't think I can keep like seeing you and now I'm like what, what the, the fuck, fuck was I doing <laughs> that's amazing do you feel like you felt shame at the time that it like was this sort of 
forbidden secret that you had to like withhold? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like it was just so taboo. It's crazy how taboo it was. Like, I mean, eight years ago, obviously just doesn't really feel like that long ago. Yeah. It just was like so unnecessarily dramatic. Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, what I always try and say is like, I want mental health to not be a big deal, right? It's like, I totally. want it to just be a regular part of our lives, like everything else that we do and just built in. And it's like, you know, obviously it it's, can be heavy and, you know, there are places that are very serious and are absolutely a big deal, but like, we just need to get over it. Like, it's just chill. Like we all have this thing, you know, it's not like a big scary monster. It's not a big sort of taboo thing, you know? And I think for us growing up, obviously mental health was really only thought about and just like all the way over here of like you're in the you're in an insane asylum you're wearing a straitjacket you you have to go to a shrink you take pills like all of these things and like we never really learned or at least I didn't that like it's a full spectrum and like the other side of it is like joy excitement love positivity and like you know that's why we really choose to like lead with that side and like sort of bring people into the conversation and like get to understand their mental health through that lens and then it's just like oh yeah this is like it's just mental health it's not some sort of like big mountain that i can't like ever get over you know totally yeah it's it's interesting i feel like um i was gonna say like i feel like it it is starting to be treated so much like going to the doctor and and getting a checkup but i but now I'm also realizing like, okay, I went to, I got a physical this year for the first time in like four years. So honestly, I spent way more time talking about mental health with my friends than like, Hey, what's, who's your GP? I need, I need someone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, it, it, it's, we always say like mental health is invisible. So it's so much harder to like identify or like, you know, if you're walking down the street and you see someone on crutches, it's like, Oh, like feel better. Like, I hope that person's okay. But like, you know, you could just be walking down with the street with your airpods in and be so depressed and like no one would ever know so you know the only way that people can actually know and and can learn themselves is if we talk about it and if we advocate for it and if we you know make art like you do and and have conversations like this and you know that's really how uh we're gonna get the world to change and uh yeah it's like so cool how far we've already come when you first started going to therapy do you remember what that experience was like or your first couple sessions were you super nervous was it hard for you to open up or how did that go because I feel like a lot of people are just so scared to start they don't know where to start yeah I definitely know it took a few therapists to find uh the right one um and I've been with that therapist for like six years now no way yeah it's awesome I think people are intimidated by the process but it just kind of is one of those things that you have to put your head down and just go through the process of finding the right person. Yeah. Um, Cause I remember like the first woman my parents had me meet with um, was like up in Massachusetts by my college. And it was super like psychoanalytic talk based. And I remember her asking me like, what's one of your favorite things to do? And I was like, oh, I love, I love, uh, I like to sit on top of my car and watch the sunset. And she was like, why do you like to do that? Like, how does that make you feel? And I was like, what a dumb, stupid question. Everyone likes to watch the sunset. You know why I like to watch the sunset. It's the same reason why everyone, the sunset's beautiful and amazing. And I just remember being like, all right, this is not for me. I need to do something uh, 
that feels less like baseless. So um, my parents found a CBT practice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in New York. So um, I think once I got on like the CBT train, I, I understood kind of more why therapy could be important. And that's not to say like talk therapy can be really obviously important. I'm actually like in the process of kind of finding a talk therapist now. But at the time I was like, I do not want to just sit here and talk to someone I don't relate to. Yeah, I think, you know, once you're ready to sort of go down that road, obviously mental health is not one size fits all. You know, it's not just like you go to a an optometrist for eyes, right? And it's just like, that's it. It's like, you know, for, for, a, for a therapist, it's so sort of case by case. And I think you hit it like right on the head of like, it, it's really about checking in with yourself on like, what makes me feel good? What do I like to do? Is it, is it, psychodrama is it cbt like you said is it talk therapy is it uh you know plant medicine right there's like all these different kinds of ways to feel better based off uh our experience and and who we are and i think really the most important thing is just sort of having an open mind and like you said really like doing the work because i feel like one thing that's really hard about mental health that makes it even harder for people is like you can't just like sign up for a therapy appointment and then just like, you know, show up all right, my hour. And like, now I feel great. Right. It's actually like active work that you have to put in. It's like not just time. Um, so how was that like learning curve and, and experience for you of like actually doing the work to, to unpack your depression and, and understand it and sort of learn from there? I feel like for me personally, like knowing that there was work to be done, felt like a relief I was like okay there's like actual tangible things I can do to remedy how I'm feeling um so I was really excited to for that side of things Mm -hmm. I feel like when you're really really desperate you'll kind of do anything yeah and uh the gift of desperation they say in in recovery yeah exactly and and uh when you know that you need to get better like bad enough uh you'll like you know, you're just like glad someone's giving you tangible steps that you can take. Yeah. What were some of those early coping mechanisms and, and like support pillars for you? I feel like the two most prominent ones that we tackled pretty quickly were um, kind of identifying distorted thoughts mm. and then having kind of like a rebuttal to them. So I would have a thought, we had a worksheet that was like, okay, what type of distorted cognition is this? Is this like, is this all or nothing thinking? And then come up with, with a maybe like more rational and compassionate uh, thought that could take its place. Can you give an example of, of like, of an all or nothing thought like that for listeners? Yeah. Okay. An all or nothing thought would be like... I really wanted my song to do a hundred million streams and it's only done 50 million streams. So I am a total failure. And then obviously like the remedy to that would be like, you're not a total failure. This song has done something incredible. It's impacted so many people. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so I think that was kind of one big thing. And then the other thing is I made like a lot of lists list of like okay who are my friends in New York City I can hang out with what are activities I like to do when I'm feeling a certain way who 
who do I feel my best around? What foods do I feel really good when I'm eating? And like making those lists and having, because I feel like when you're depressed or really anxious, your brain is kind of incapable of being rational. So having everything written out was really great. Because like if I felt really lonely and isolated, I'd look at my list of friends and go down the line and be like, oh, who should I call and hang out or talk to? And like when I feel depressed, I want to lie down and like be inactive and to look at activities and be like, okay, I like going for a walk by the water. I like writing music. I like going for runs or whatever the activity is. Um, and I would just pick something and do it. Yeah. I love, uh, I love that answer. We call that in recovery, like top line behaviors, you know, like, like a lot of people oh, cool. know about like sort of bottom line behaviors of like having a drink or texting this girl or, or, whatever the things that you're not supposed to do. But uh, what a lot of people don't know about, it's actually those top line behaviors that like you're talking about is like anyone who struggles with anything is like to identify those top line behaviors, like you said, of like whether it's go for a walk, journal for five minutes, call my mom, et cetera. And like, you know, if you can do one to two of those things a day, it's like you'll give yourself a better chance to sort of like feel better, not fall into a funk, like all of those sorts of things and then I love what you said like you know socially too of just like making plans like leaning on other people like making yourself accountable of like oh fuck like I I made that dinner plan like now I have to go out right it's like you sort of force yourself to not be able to get stuck especially if they're with people who actually like care about you and love you and like you can be yourself around and they don't judge you I feel like that's really like the most important part 100% I I never heard of like top line versus bottom line behaviors. And that is such an awesome way to think about it. I love that so much. In terms of your creativity, I'm curious, like once you got into therapy, obviously you had already been making music a little bit and it seems like maybe that even was your sort of therapy before therapy. Like how did it change your creative process? Were you able to be more vulnerable? Were you finding the the record making to be more cathartic then? Or, or how did it affect your career? I feel like maybe the more relevant question is like how have medications maybe affected Mm. my ability to be vulnerable or my creativity because I feel like if anything therapy has um, has just given me some really incredible tools but I feel like I've felt the biggest influence really from like my medication, if anything. Yeah. Um, and Cause I feel like, I don't know, obviously like only share what you're comfortable with, with me, of course, but I, I've, I'm, I'm on Lexpro and Wellbutrin and I feel like my. I've been emotion- on both of those. Okay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if you relate, but I feel like my emotional spectrum was obviously really wide prior mm-hmm. to going on them. And that's why I obviously would have like these hyper fixated moments of like mania and then um, feeling really suicidal and terrible. Mm-hmm. And now obviously that's like much smaller. So I, I feel like it takes a lot more for me to really sit in my feelings and be vulnerable with my creativity than when I was really in the throes of my depression. Yeah, um, can definitely relate to those like high highs and low lows that that you sort of said. And I know for me, like medication has helped me find sort of a sort of a like steady middle, you know, similar to like your your all or nothing 
sort of thoughts that you were talking about, I can really relate to that in terms of just like being an extremist and, you know, thinking only over here or over here. And there's so much like beautiful gray area and like middle ground that like life has to offer of like 50 million streams is a lot. That's great. It also, you know, means doesn't have anything to do with me being a good person or having value or, or anything like that. Right. I think for me, like I've had a really complicated history with medication of like, you know, was prescribed the Adderall when I was a teenager and then, you know, sort of was like F you medication. I'm, I don't need this. I'm going to do my own thing. And then got off like cold Turkey and then got back on and, and, and I've been back on for a couple of years now with uh Wellbutrin and, and Pristique for both depression and anxiety. Um, what has your sort of journey been like? It seems like you've had a pretty positive experience. Um, can you speak to just sort of like when you first got on and then how you've noticed it's really uh, helped you and like why you choose to stick with it? Yeah, I feel like I, I started Lexapro only because my panic attacks were like uncontrollable. And I was just getting them so frequently that I felt like I didn't really have a choice. Um, but to take medication and it's, and like, it's, I mean, it's great. I take like a really low dose of Lexapro and it evened out my panic attacks. Um, I like don't really get them anymore, which is amazing. But I will say like the first year of being on Lexapro was such a nightmare side effect wise. Mm. I even tried Zoloft for a little bit and that was horrible. Like the side effects were even worse, but, uh, yeah, Lexapro was like pretty intolerable for me at first. Like I was just super like dizzy and nauseous like I still have a really hard time drinking like it's pretty much like I always tell people that I just don't drink because I don't like it Mm -hmm. um but like in reality it's really difficult for me to drink I don't know if you experience that with your medication but I guess I don't I don't drink at all okay yeah it like hurts my stomach so bad even like one or two drinks but yeah I started taking wellbutrin in the midst of like a pretty heavy depressive episode a few years ago and have just stayed on it and I honestly have no idea if it does anything for me or not but I I'm just like I guess I feel pretty good on a daily basis so I'm just gonna keep doing it yeah I actually just like this is like even like a couple weeks ago I don't even think I've shared it on the show like have have started to wean off my wellbutrin because I feel way less depressed and just feel like way happier i think with with myself if i've been you know seeing a new couples therapist with my girlfriend and that's been amazing like starting to work out more feeling a lot more secure with like our business and and my my value and things like that um so that's been really really amazing because i do think that like you know we have the power naturally with like getting enough sleep and eating healthy and moving our body and you know working with a professional um to feel good on that sense, but I'm still staying on the prestige for like my anxiety because I feel like that's where a lot of like negative thoughts, insecurities, triggers, you know, things like that will sort of come into my head and like really escalate, you know, those, those thoughts and, and my heart rate and whatnot. It's like the seesaw of like both at all times. Um, but I do think that's what's so cool about like medication is like, it's not like a you sign up and like, you know, you sign your life away. It's like, it's a constantly talking and moving and checking in and lowering doses, hiring. Let me try this. Let me try that. Um, and I feel like that's like such a cool part of it. Have you felt good so far in your process of weaning off? I have, I have. I like, I also just started this last week, um, 
like a really intense like fitness program and like i was i was very for the last like four or five months i've been really like lethargic and just like lazy and like got to like my heaviest weight ever and like was feeling really insecure about my body and like i've found that working out and like being active has like really made me feel so similar to how like the medication did in that way um and just trying to go like trying to empower myself that like i have the ability to make myself feel good that's amazing yeah yeah i'm so happy for you to hear that that's awesome thank you thank you so much i feel like i don't know like if i'm there yet like i envy that i'm like simultaneously so happy for you and i'm also like god damn it like i i want that like i feel like i i don't fully believe that i could ever be off lexapro yeah no I, I i get that i think like something that really shift my perspective in medication of like you know because i i went through like you know my rock bottom was like almost five years ago the summer of 2018 that's when i got sober from like drugs and alcohol and like started my path on recovery and all those things and i was super resistant towards like medication i was like you know fuck that like i want to do it myself there's nothing wrong with me blah 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 and like my dad just told me like you know if if you have a problem and there's something out there that can help you like why would you be resistant to it and like that's sort of how i thought about it and i think you know obviously it's it's, there's no timetable for it of like we all like if you need help take something and let it help you and like let it help you for as long as you need it to help you and then i think that like we do have the ability to sort of get to that place um if like we're we have the structure in other places of our lives to like be able to do that and i think for you to recognize that you might not be there yet is like just as beautiful as for me to recognize that like maybe i am there yet and like who knows you know it's all just sort of like one day one week like one month at a time because mood can like fluctuate so quickly as you know it's like we have to stay like working on that shit that's what's like can be so exhausting about it um but it's like i i choose to kind of see that as like the beauty in it yeah, that's amazing. I honestly never thought of it that way. I love that. Do, do you mind, uh, like, are you comfortable sharing, like, what um, kind of prompted you to turn things around? Uh, yeah, what uh, turn things around in what sense? Um, I guess you said that five years ago you started, like, your path on recovery. Oh, yeah. I mean, I basically discovered that I had, like, a severe, like, sex and love addiction and that I was really using women to get all of my self-worth and value and like that's what was making me feel good I really had like a serious girlfriend always since I was 16 and really like you know was never faithful was never honest was sort of like you know always talking to girls and like creating this like network of like webs and lies to like really fuel my my ego and my self-esteem and I uh I had a girlfriend um who discovered like some infidelity and like broke up with me. And it was on a night where I was like out, you know, with a fifth of Jameson in my hand, like blacking out, smoking five plus spliffs, like, you know, her basically going through my phone and like discovering that. And there was basically the scene of like how two relationships ended in a row, like the same exact way of like me being hungover, passed out, blackout in bed the next day and sort of getting like discovered. And I was like, wow, this is like a real sign of like, this is not, okay um and i had like a week of like suicidal ideation and was just like the lowest i've ever been and i was like holy shit like i need i need help you know so i told my parents that and then i went away to a treatment facility 
in Tennessee and just did like the most intensive therapeutic work that I've really ever done in my life. And like, you know, was able, you know, I heard the word sex and love addiction for the first time and, you know, read these like 12 characteristics and like each one was like, oh my God, this was written for me in this moment right now. Uh, I was really able to find myself in that, got back on medication. You know, at the time, obviously my, my only motivation was to get this girl back right that's like all i was doing it for to prove everyone wrong all these sorts of things um and that like set me on the path that i'm on now and like by no means was it a smooth road you know i only yeah. literally just got a sponsor uh in the program like three months ago like it took four years of going to meetings to actually get a sponsor um and then you know once i became sober off drugs and alcohol i think that's where sort of other vices came up in terms of like pornography food um, other things like that that were like really hard to manage like you know so I feel like as an addict for me it's always like I get better here and then this thing uh, uh, goes up and if I'm working right. on that then this will flare up so it's really like I've had to look at my life holistically um, in that sense and really be able to like reduce the shame and 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 find my tribe and and really like go slow and and be gentle with myself um, but yeah I'd say it really sort of started all from like losing a relationship that made me not want to be alive anymore because I had all of my happiness tied up in in another person. When do you feel like it became for you instead of oriented around getting your ex-girlfriend back? I think like like within like four months of when I got out of treatment, um, we were even like still sort of talking in the beginning. And then, you know, she had gotten to a point where she sort of met this other guy and, and sort of told me that, like, she wanted to explore that other opportunity that, like, she owed it to herself to see, like, where this could lead. And I was just like, OK, like, I, I, I understand. I understand that's what you need to do, you know. And like three months prior, I would have said I, I can't imagine myself living if, if I'm not with this girl, you know. So I feel like it really just took time and, and space and the program, which I'm super grateful for, Um and that but but yeah yeah that's amazing I um I just read My Fair Junkie which was the first time that I had learned about love and sex being an addiction um and which is interesting now that we're having this conversation like so uh soon after reading that but I feel like that I obviously can't speak from experience but I feel like it must take swallowing your pride to acknowledge that because it's such a uh less talked about mm -hmm. form of addiction so um so yeah like i've I have so much respect and admiration for thank uh, you yeah i feel like uh you know people don't really understand it and it is kind of hard to explain you know i think on some level like everyone wants to be loved and everyone feels good to get attention or get a like on instagram or like whatever it is so like a lot of people think that it's normal which like to a degree it is i think the biggest word for me that i think about is like unmanageability of like you know when it feels like you really can't control it and like you're not able to manage sort of like what it does and then that's what you sort of seek when you feel that anxiety or depression and it sort of becomes that medicine or that sort of distraction you know but but all to say like i think the biggest thing that i've learned is like my problem isn't the addiction you know, the addiction is my solution, my unhealthy solution to a deeper problem. And it's been really learning about what that problem is um, that's causing me to seek out these toxic behaviors in the first place that like really 
is the most helpful almost if you think about it like the roots of my tree are are the problem and like the addictions and attachments are just like the branches that grow out of that tree so it wasn't really until i was able to like dig up my roots and stop just trying to like cut off my branches that will always grow back that i was actually able to like make progress in like my mental health journey totally yeah i i, I love that metaphor so much i was looking at a at your Instagram this morning or yesterday and I noticed that you posted about a social media hiatus. I'm curious for you like what your relationship has been like with social media in general and like why you chose to to sort of take a little break. Yeah, I I feel like I've always really valued social media because it's given me an avenue to connect more personally with an audience. So like I've always I've always really uh like thought of it pretty favorably. I think that with the emergence of kind of short form content, I've started to probably resent it more just because now it feels like our content culture expects a certain amount from creators. Mm -hmm. And, um, and obviously now it's structured to like reward frequent content versus like sharing when you are comfortable and ready basically I just yeah it, it was really my manager's idea and he was even nervous to bring it up to me and I was like no this is incredible because I feel like I'm going online because we're being told to not because I I feel like I'm I feel like I'm posting things to check boxes not because I have things that I value that I want to share and I also think that the way that social media is kind of structured right now, where you open up your phone and immediately we're being shown everyone else's success, every like what everyone else is doing. Um, and it, it's kind of like it confronts you without you even seeking it mm -hmm. at this point. I found that to be really damaging for my self-esteem because it's just it's just so easy to compare and it's so unhealthy um and it's like it's not impossible but it's so difficult to zoom out on yourself um in the grand scheme of things like i i think to be like super candid i think it's really hard for me to zoom out and say like oh i'm chelsea cutler like i you know i'm an established artist like i have a really like i have a career that um, you know, there's so much to be grateful for. We've accomplished so much. Um, like it's hard for me to do that. Right. Cause I'm just in my own body and I'm just going through life and I just mm -hmm. feel like a person and I see, um, you know, someone getting a platinum record or selling out a tour, or they're playing on Jimmy Fallon and in my brain, I'm just like, I'm not doing any of those things right now. So therefore like I'm irrelevant or I'm, you know, I'm not like cyclically involved. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, the short of the long of it is like I feel like it's been like pretty unhealthy for me. Yeah, I I imagine as like, you know, someone whose career is to be in the public eye in that way and like making art, has it been hard for you to like, you know, not get your self worth from the success of your music? I feel like I have like always gotten so much validation from music and from the industry you know, for better or for worse, like, I don't really know if that's healthy or not, but it has been a massive source of validation for me. The last probably like year and a half, two years in particular, kind of post pandemic, I've struggled to like find validation 
in the same way from it. I need to take a step back so I can kind of take control of my relationship with social media. Like I want to dictate my relationship with it. I want it to be an, an avenue where I can share with fans what's going on in my life, where we can connect. Um, and I, I don't want it to be this place where I feel like I'm running and running and running and never hitting any sort of like finish line or check mark or any kind of like substantial place. Yeah. Um, I definitely have a future, like a super, like, you know, up and down relationship with social media too. Like I've gone years at a time without Instagram. I think especially with like what I struggle with, it can be like super triggering and just like, you know, very easy. Like it's like a slippery slope on there. Um, I'm sure anyone who just taps their explore page knows what I mean. I know earlier when you mentioned, like, you feel like you sort of represent just like the average Joe or like, there's nothing special about you right like you're just sort of you know just like a regular person and that's sort of what people like I can really relate to that of like the imposter syndrome that I've struggled with of like at times you know I've told myself too much that like you're not special or like we're all just like little ants on this like dot floating in space or whatever like yeah. you know and, and things like that I'm I'm curious like how do you balance that with also like having to step in and, and be confident and get on stage and kill it and like you know be be Chelsea Cutler like an amazing artist that you're talking about like is it hard to sort of like do both of those at the same time for you I think that's probably one of my biggest struggles in life and with my self-esteem I feel like ironically enough being on stage is kind of where I feel the best it's mm. where I feel the most confident because I feel like Again, like I, I feel like I, I, I feel like I'm just like a people person. I love connecting with people. I love talking to people, and I feel like in person is where, it's where like I the can real shine. Shit. Yeah, 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 that's because it's real. And I feel like um, it's really more like the social media branding, and kind of the the like image of Chelsea Cutler that's confusing and difficult for me. Because that's the part that's like uh, not real. That's a part of like you're in a room with. Three people and they're like, all right, so let's you know do this or look like this or wear this or like you know that's where we lose the authenticity of like who we are. Yeah, I, I feel like I I spend so much time telling myself that like just because I've experienced like a taste of fame or success or like financial um, privilege that like that doesn't make me you know, like any better, any more deserving or more, any more entitled than mm -hmm. any other human. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and I think sometimes I cross the line with myself where like, I, I'm so afraid of being like conceited or arrogant that I have like really, really beaten myself down to the point Me of too. feeling like undeserving of Me any too. of this. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it dude? It's cause it's, it's like, in any creative industry, like whether you're starting a brand or you're an artist or you're an athlete, like at the end of the day, the most important thing is your conviction in yourself, because that's that's kind of what entices people and attracts people to be your audience. Like if you have a brand with no conviction, obviously you're not leading. So there's nothing to follow. Yeah. Um, and so I think I struggle a lot with with like. Okay. And like to be a successful artist, the reality is I have to have something to stand for. And I think like as a human, I I'm really like fearless I, and I, I'm not afraid to speak up and I'm not afraid to kind of do weird things or be outside the box. And 
particularly in the last couple of years with like finding a little bit more like financial success and, and finding, um, you know, pockets of like playing some really massive shows and mm-hmm. having some good moments and stuff. Like I've been, again, like, I, I feel like I just, I like d- dim my own light and that it's like so counterintuitive. Cause I'm like, why the F is like, like, why the fuck is anyone supposed to be a fan of Chelsea color? If Chelsea color is not like giving, like giving you anything like to not admire. a fan of herself. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like it's so counterintuitive. Yeah, like last year and like a couple years ago, especially when like my depression was the heaviest, I like was like everyone in my life was so much more excited about my life than I was. Or like I would go home and I wouldn't like, you know, my mom or my girlfriend, they would see something on Instagram that Matt Happy did and they'd be like, oh, my God, like this is amazing. Like, why didn't you tell me about this? And I was just yes. I don't know. Like, I didn't really think about it or just like, dude, yeah, you're, oh my gosh, we need to like get dinner and talk about this stuff. Cause I literally, one of the biggest fights I've gotten in with my parents in the last couple of years has been, um, that I was like, I think it was Colbert and I didn't tell my parents that I was performing <laughs> and they were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Like, uh, yes, you, Whatever, yes, you yeah. like, you feel so undeserving of it and so like like afraid to take up space maybe is like the right word or like right way to put it too that like it's hard to derive joy from it it's hard to like derive fulfillment from it so i relate so much yeah no that's that's so funny um and it's like you know now like something that i'm really consciously trying to do even if like i still don't think it's cool or i'm still not that excited about it is just like force myself to to tell my girl or or to to share it with my siblings or my parents and, and just sort of like get in that habit. You know, I think for us, it really is just that, that depression and that anxiety that like, you know, has a seat at the table in our head and like probably will forever. And it's like learning how to really like, you know, acknowledge it and not, you know, not let it get too powerful, but like hear it out and be able to like rationally have tools and like a toolbox to go to, to tell it why, it's wrong or like not now and like i feel like that's part of the amazing work of like you know now i do get excited about shit and like i do get pumped up and think to call people and tell them and feel better about myself in that way so like you know there is there is another side to it which i think is like the most beautiful part do you feel like at all discouraged by the fact that you think your depression might always have a seat at your table no i think it actually does the opposite for me of like it makes me just like exhale and like feel so like relaxed of like you know i don't have to because it's the same thing with addiction right it's like you know an alcoholic is always going to be an alcoholic period there's no there's no beating it this isn't like a test that like once you graduate you never have to go back and i feel like there's something so just like light about that to just sort of like accept it um and i definitely see the other side of like how someone could say no it actually feels like so fucking heavy of like oh my god i have to deal with this shit my whole life but it's like you know we all you could be born with a with a physical condition you could be born with whatever it's just sort of like a part of life and if i try and fight something that just like makes me who i am then i'm just gonna have such a more like unpleasant time and life will just be like such an uphill battle and that just sounds so exhausting and i just don't have the energy for that as opposed to just like all right let me not feel any shame i'm a i'm a depressed i'm an addict i'm i'm an anxiety like i'm an anxious dude like these are all the little pieces of my life let me swallow that pill and now let me like work with a professional and whoever to like look at you know who 
who are all the seats at my table? Like what, what does my cabinet look like? And like, what's our best sort of approach to like dealing with this? And like, that's where I think of like the top line behaviors again is like, I have to put these pieces in place in my life just to like set me up for the best chance of success. Right. I'm still going to fail. Sometimes I'm still going to be depressed as fuck. Sometimes I'm still going to have a bad day. It's like, there's no overcoming those things. It's just like, what's my defense team looking like to be able to give myself the best chance to to feel good and and have healthy places to go so i don't have to go back to those to that pit that i was in before where where i didn't want to live anymore you know because that's a scary place and it's not that far away you know so yeah um dude it really is that's sort of how i think about it now yeah it's so like one that's so badass um like hearing you talk about it the way and it's really, it's, it's, it gives me a lot of hope because I feel like I'm still in the place where I'm framing it as, as like tiring. Yeah. It is so crazy how much of it is about rewiring and kind of reframing things. So, um, like, yeah, that, that gives me a lot of hope. I, I like appreciate hearing that from you. No, for sure. What, uh, and how old are you, uh, by the way? I just turned 26. Okay, cool. I'll, I'm 28. I'll be 29 in June. So I definitely like you know, when I was your age, not that I'm that much older than you or anything, but like, you know, I, I, <laughs> no, I was I'm, still I'm... in that place where like, you know, it, it was, it took years and like, it actually took things changing in my life and my brother getting engaged or my business, like our business doing X, Y, and Z to like, you know, unlock these life moments that like, as we grow perspective changes, I'm sure if we have this conversation in a year from now, like I'll be saying some totally different shit and you'll be saying some totally different shit. And like, you know, that's sort of the beauty of all of it, but it's when we just stand still and don't do anything that like it starts to creep back in. Cause it's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? It's just like, we're just learning how to live with it. Yeah. It's, it's crazy what you said too. how it's not that far away. My sort of slogan right now in recovery is is further down the road, but just as far from the ditch. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's uh, that's what I try and remind myself. Did someone give that to you, or or is that kind of your own? No, someone someone gave that to me. And like in these twelve step meetings that I go to, like a few times a week, you'll just hear like old timers share, or just like a random dude on a Zoom where you don't even see his face, and like these fools just drop bars like yeah. all day and I'm just like holy shit like it's just like exactly what I needed or just like lines you know like the gift of desperation is another one of like you know how how beautiful of an opportunity is it to learn about you know yourself and your traumas and why you are the way you are and and you know all this sort of thing that that can help you feel better about yourself you know oh I love that like like I think it's really badass that you're still going to meetings that frequently too Oh, yeah. I mean, I just started getting back in like once I got a sponsor three months ago to like recovery heavily. It's been such a such a roller coaster for me, dude, of like, you know, really committing myself to it because like such a big problem for me is just consistency of like. Do you feel like reluctant to. To have it be such a big part of your life or where does the consistency waiver come from, you think? I think it just comes from my ego and addicts feel like they're invincible superheroes and like you know the addict voice will convince me why i don't need it anymore so good at justification rationalizing behavior 
too busy. I can't make it. You're good now. Like, you know, oh, it's been months, right? Like all those sorts of things of like why it's time and okay to like, you know, drop off. And like, that's why my thing is like, yeah, I'm further down the road, but like the ditch is right there. Like it's not going anywhere within like, I could feel depressed. And within 30 minutes, I, I, within 30 seconds, I could be acting out on a bottom line and like, just like that. And then you slip, you know, and like, that's what we see all the time with like people relapsing and drugs and alcohol or like, you know, I've, I've heard stories of people who have 30, 40 years of, of sobriety who, who go right back to day one. Right. So it really is something that's so fragile. And like, I never want to feel like I've, like I've beat it or like I'm better than it. You know, I always want to have that humility and that ability to surrender and like, you know, turn it over that, you know, maybe I'm not the best at taking care of myself in that way. Right. There's like a higher yeah. power in that sense. There, dude, I feel like so much of that is, is uh, like applicable to mental health in general too. Cause 100%. like my, my therapist has a saying like strike when the iron's cold and mm. like just, you should be like going to therapy when you feel amazing, not just when you feel like shit. Um, Cause I feel like if you get behind on your maintenance, that's when it all can catch up to you. So it's definitely, it's, you know, I obviously can't relate on the recovery front, but I definitely relate in terms of like those moments when your ego is telling you like, no, nah, I'm good. Like I, I can do this without my therapist. I can do this because there are times like <laughs> I'll even go, I'll even go like a week without taking my meds. Cause I'm just like, I stare at them. Like yeah. I brush my teeth. I wash my face and like, I, I pick up the you. bottle. Yeah. I'm just like, fuck you. Like yeah. I don't need this. And it's, and then a week later after not taking them, like you feel your brain getting irrational and you're just like, okay, fuck me. I like, I'm not bigger than this at all. No, I love that. I love that slogan that your therapist uses. And it just made me think of like, you know, if you go to the gym, you don't see a bunch of out of shape people, right? Like you see a bunch right. of jack people. It's like, they don't stop going once they get it. That's how you maintain it. It's like, and it's 100%. the same sort of thing when it comes to mental health in that way. Yeah. A hundred percent. I love all that. Before we wrap up, I'm curious for you, like, what is your sort of support system mental health care uh look like now whether it's on like a daily basis or you know when i talk about sort of my cabinet or like small council like what does uh your sort of support system look like in that way yeah i have um you know i think i think that my girlfriend we live together and and so i feel like you know she's the person i see the most and has such an impact Mm. um and and is such a you know such a rock for me and has gone through like such great lengths to understand kind of how I function mentally in a way that no one yeah no one else has has you know done for me um you know my dog is a big support system for me Uh, my management team my parents I think like I'm probably safe to say this because it would be like weird for them to watch a podcast I'm doing but I'm currently like speed dating three therapists because I just don't know who I I don't know how I'm gonna know which one is right mm-hmm. um because I I love my CBT therapist I'm gonna like hopefully maintain a relationship with her forever but I kind of feel like I just want another perspective so I feel like my manager is such a massive part of my support system too and I don't I probably don't like really acknowledge that to him because I don't like showing him any vulnerability um because he's like a big brother you know so it's, yeah. i yeah. you know i feel i don't want him to ever like see me weak but i i feel like well that's you know, the that's the misconception right there is that vulnerability is a sign of weakness when when really it's a sign of courage 
Yeah, hundred percent. And like you know, he would tell me that. Um, but yeah, I feel like he more than probably anyone in the world just like has been a place for me to land and has been a place for me to to offload. And I think like something that I've really learned is that not everybody is in a place all the time for you to offload and mm-hmm. and put some of your weight on them. And I, and I think um, people who do have the capacity for that are are really like diamonds in the rough and, and you know I'm beyond fortunate so he'll probably listen to this and and, oh, uh, and hear how grateful I am so yeah what about you um I'd say it's a combination of like recovery so going to meetings sponsor therapist girlfriend uh my business partners you know I think I wouldn't be able to do anything without them and the you know the uh just relationship and like trust and love that we have with each other, I think is like so important in like the constant communication. Um, and then socially, you know, I think just like figuring out who are my one, two, three, four, five closest friends that I can call on that I need to spend time with that make me feel good about myself, that don't judge me, that accept me, that I never have to think twice about how I behave around them. Um, those sorts of things. And then I feel like nature is like a huge one for me of just like being outside being in the sun touching tree trunks and putting my feet in the soil and things like that I feel like um another thing my therapist has said is like particularly in New York City like everything feels really small you know you're in an apartment you're in a city that feels very like compact and she was like anytime you feel that way like very compacted like go to the West side highway, go to central park, like go look at something vast, go to your rooftop. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, that was like another really great piece of advice, but yeah, I feel like, you know, we're both so fortunate to have such incredible like friends and family and business partners. And um, even even this, like I, it's not so often you get to have such a intimate um, and like vulnerable conversation. And, and, um, and like, I just really appreciate you sharing so much with me likewise and you know i wish we (laughs) i wish we had more time honestly because i feel like we didn't even get to touch on like the panic attacks or sexuality or like even like living with your partner i have so many fucking questions about that as like i consider myself so uh we'll have to do a part two yeah we'll have to do a part two (laughs) or part three um yeah but just wanted to say obviously likewise um everything that you do for like the mental health community um and your art and your vulnerability and uh this conversation was incredible and and i can't wait to put it out so we'll definitely uh be in touch and thank you so much for coming on chelsea i feel the same way about you guys and everything you guys do so thank you all right we'll see you soon thank you so much for listening to episode 99 we are celebrating our 100th episode next week we are all in studio for it and we have a long conversation about the journey thus far please tune in i think you'll enjoy it if you've been with us this far thank you so much and we will see you next week The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.